Hi, Ryan here, wanting to say thank you so much for supporting the Prairie Track and Field Podcast. Before we dive into today's episode, we want to take a moment to express our gratitude to each of you. The comments, messages, and reviews that we've been receiving have been such a pleasure to read, and we've also just been so pumped by how many of you are listening to these stories. If you're wondering how else you can support us, be sure to just to tell your friends, share our posts, write us a review on the Apple Podcast app, and honestly, just keep listening. Today's episode is sponsored by Job Crush. Whether you're making a career change or entering the job market for the first time, Job Crush is here to help. The professionals at Job Crush are passionate about helping you succeed. They've experienced the ups and downs of countless applications and interviews, so you don't have to. The best part is that if you visit jobcrush.co right now, you can register for a free consultation. Job Crush, the interview pros, on demand, 100% digital. This was one of our first interviews that we recorded this summer, and it was so much fun. If it sounds like it was our first time recording, it's because it was. Thanks again for listening. Now let's go to the episode. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to uh, the Prairie Track Podcast. I'm Ryan Anderson. We got Cameron Rail with us, and we have today's guest, Riley Dolezal. Here's just a few accolades and highlights about Riley. We take it all the way back to high school. He was a state champion out of Stanley, North Dakota. He's a former NDSU record holder. He's a two-time USA champion in the Javelin. He's been on three world championships teams. He's got a PR of 83.5 meters, which is just under 274 feet. One thing Riley told us that we didn't include in all of our athletes is he was an alternate for the fifth grade elementary school math competition. Was that right, Riley? Oh, yeah. It was a statewide math meet, so it was pretty intense. Tell us right now, where are you talking to us from? Where are you located right now on the Zoom call? Uh, at my house in Fargo. Just got it earlier this winter. It's been a project nonstop pretty much. So anybody that follows you on Instagram knows just how much work you've put into this house. So it was kind of a fixer upper, but it looks like it's coming along real nice. Yeah. Yeah. It's been, uh, it's been a lot of fun to just kind of pick stuff apart and update stuff is kind of the main one. The wiring was all old. Uh, nobody had lived in here for over a year at least. So the gas was shut off and had to run around with the gas company saying that they thought it was on and it wasn't. And there was a lock on it. So then I didn't have heat for beginning of January and through February pretty much. And so I was working in here with coveralls on, ripping out the basement stuff, ripped all that stuff out and hauled it outside and put it on a big pile, which I still have in the backyard, kind of just burning it through as campfires and stuff. And then started on the upstairs stuff to make it livable before I had to move out of my apartment and into here then. But no, it's been a lot of fun. And uh, just to have something your own. Got tired of the renting stuff. And uh, it's been uh, been fun to actually just kind of work and as my recovery. We're right on. I, I promise you that there's more to come in this podcast about the house. Uh, we're going to move on. Cam, you want to kick us off with kind of where it all began for Riley? Yeah. You know, as a podcast that's focusing on on athletes from North Dakota, we want to hear about as much of like your story and how you got started in track and field and why it was appealing to you. And tell us a little bit about your your beginnings, Stanley, North Dakota. Uh, how'd you get started on the track team, and how did you first find out it was something that you were you were good at? To start out with, I mean, track was something to stay in shape for football. You know, love football. You're all state quarterback, is that right? Yeah, that was my senior year, and then my junior year, I was all state linebacker. And region three senior athlete of the year, is that correct in football? Yeah, 
<laughs> yeah. Man, my, my background digging was pretty good. <laughs> Getting into it. <laughs> Keep going. But yeah, so I mean, started out, our football coach was our head track coach. And I didn't start throwing javelin, I mean, really until my junior year. He's like, hey, you can throw stuff. Uh, you're on the baseball team. You're a pitcher, you know, outfielder, whatever. You have an arm. You're the quarterback. You know, let's get you out, try it out for javelin. And got lucky enough, um, there, our throws coach then, he, well, he handed me a VHS tape. For those of you out there, maybe you don't even know what a VHS tape is. But uh, so I watched that thing like one time through, picked up some drills and some basic stuff on it. And then I was like, oh, I don't want to do this. You know, watch this video a bunch of times. And uh just went out there and threw it. And um, my first meet was in Minot, got up there and was throwing and ended up throwing 165 in my first meet, which at that time was a state qualifying throw. So was really lucky and fortunate that I had some skills built in that helped me succeed in that right away, right off the bat. So you started out pretty well with 165 and then just kind of peppered in around there uh, as far as distances, always qualifying for every meet um, or for every, every, at every meet for state um, with the distance. Uh, and then got into the state meet actually uh, in Bismarck at the bowl and got, I don't know, just kept on throwing, throwing well, PR, 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 and building up. And uh, at one point through 201, um, which broke the state record, they had to bring out a, a different tape measure because the only one that they had was a 200 foot tape measure. So obviously hit the end of that. That was kind of crazy. You know, I didn't really expect it. Uh, but then Later on in the meet, there was a, a senior athlete at that time from Dickinson Trinity, um, who Jesse Kovacs. He had thrown 202.11, I think, or something like that. So, he, I mean, it was a huge meet, obviously, for boys javelin at that point in time, um, which I was just super excited to be able to throw that far. I had no clue that it even was good or whatever, but I was super excited. And then, so he won. He took first. I took second my first year out. Senior year came along, and through like probably my best throughout the year in season was like 180 going into the state meet. And then um, at state, then my first throw was 208.3. And that's the, that's the current record now for North Dakota class A or B. But yeah. And then obviously won that year by like 20 feet, 30 feet, something like that. It was good to kind of start out like that. And then, I don't know, just to have that success and that early on and just kind of be like, okay, now what else can I do with it? Like you said, it's still a state record, so state overall record, regardless of class A or class B. And you did that pretty much without a coach, right? You had a VHS tape to begin with, but you didn't have a necessarily a dedicated throws coach, or did you? No, no, I didn't. I mean, practices where I'd go out and I'd throw for half an hour, 20 minutes maybe, and then kind of go home. I wish I would have had something be like, hey, you got to do this throws, these drills, I wish I would have maybe looked at that video even even a little bit more to practice some of those drills and just wanted to do it, you know. But yeah, I'd go out and I'd throw out in the field and throw the javelin at gophers and, you know, hopefully get <laughs> yeah. something and just but yeah, it was I don't know, at that point it was just kind of fun, you know, just something to do, go out and do. And obviously I'm glad it worked out really well. Sure. So I'm sure big throws like that, you must have had Coach Larson knocking on the door from NDSU. Throughout uh, like the recruitment stuff, I was getting letters from big schools, um, Duke, I was getting letters from Harvard, you know, Brown University, Princeton, you know, all these things that obviously I probably would never get into, but, but, you know, they're getting all these from these big schools and I didn't know, didn't think anything of it. You know, I had already signed with uh, Valley City to do baseball and football. It's going to be a pitcher and like quarterback there. And it wasn't until after, or at, after state that um, Coach Larson contacted me 
Yeah, so you get to NDSU the fall of 2004. What was that transition like going from having no coach, probably not a lot of other javelin throwers to practice with in high school, to all of a sudden having that team aspect a little bit more? It was, it was actually, I think it helped out a ton. At the start doing drills with Stevie Keller, he was the jab coach at that time, uh, who's the head women's coach obviously now at NDSU, or head women's and men's now. Um, mm-hmm. I, was, I was surprised, like doing all the drills, like I was terrible, like bad, bad at drills. Like, I mean, I'd be tripping over my feet, falling down, which I still kind of do. But, um, <laughs> but working through drills. And then one day I remember Stevie just saying like, Hey, just, just go, just go and throw it. You know, my freshman year. And I had a, other training partners there that were really good at throwing, really good in the weight room, stuff like that. So they were always there to like look up to and build and try to be as good as them um, and push me going through everything. But yeah. So I just went down the runway and just threw it one time. He's like, you know what, everything actually looks pretty good. We'll just work on a few of these little things. The drills will come when they come. But uh, I think just to have that steady coaching and steady training helped out a ton. Yeah, and you went to NDSU at like a pretty unique time uh, in the transition period from Division Two to Division One. So there was no opportunity to be at an NCAA meet right away as a freshman. So yeah. it looked like you, and this is pretty impressive, as a freshman, they had a Division One independent kind of championships meet, and you won it. Yeah, barely. It was... okay, barely. Talk us through that. That sounds like a good story. <laughs> So like I said, not very good at drills and doing stuff like that. Going into that meet, it was in uh, UC Davis. As a freshman, you know, so obviously new to all this stuff. There's two older javelin throwers there that were with us. And I'm going down the runway. And I there luckily, there's only like eight people in the event. So independent championships, there's like four teams there or something like that. But I'm throwing terrible, like skying them straight up in the air and straight down. I'm fouling one off to the side. And then my third throw or my fourth throw or something like that, it hit me in the back of the head. Like I pulled down on it a lot, hit me in the back of the head, just helicoptered end over end, like rolling out into the sector. And they're pulling in the tape, pulling in the tape. They're going to measure it saying that I stepped off the runway and, you know, I didn't foul it for them. And they're going to measure this throw that's like 20 feet or something like that. And Stevie's over there, like probably saying four letter words, like you wouldn't believe, but He's like, what is going on with this kid? You know, he's throwing 210 this year. He's, I mean, he's throwing well. I went into finals with like 130, 140 or something like that. Like the least I've thrown ever in a meet. I think like on my fifth throw, I ended up pulling something out and ended up throwing like 207 and won the meet. And uh, as a freshman, you know, going through and just, I don't know. So it was just kind of one of the deals like, hey, I finally just like laughed it off. I was like, well, it can't get any worse, yeah. you know? laughed it off and went out there and threw and ended up going really well. So that was kind of the transition part of it as far as like that first year kind of all coming together, hopefully at the end. Riley, I I guess I don't really know how like the rest of your college went. Did you get a chance to compete in, in like a conference or how did, how did the rest of your college career go then? Cause yeah, we were, I was at the start of like the four year waiting period. So those first two years were like independent years. And then I broke my wrist that third year. Uh, and then I was kind of one of the only jab throwers there at the time. So I kind of took that year as a medical year. And then my junior year, we came back and we were actually in the, in the Summit League Conference then at that point. And then I ended up, uh, I won conference that year. But then it wasn't like, we couldn't, still couldn't go to the Division One level as far as like NCAAs, regionals or nationals or anything like that. My fifth year then, I was able to... We're, that was the first year that we could go Division One nationals. And then my first meet of that year, we were down in Arizona, and 
my first throw was like a record breaking throw, 229, 10 or something like that, whatever it is, and broke NDSU's record and uh, was would have qualified me easily to go through um, to regional and hopefully, you know, and then go from there and hopefully make nationals and stuff like that. And then my fourth throw, that same meet, uh, just lost a little bit out the side and uh, tore my elbow and um, had to have Tommy John surgery. So then that was season ending and uh, actually collegiate career ending, I guess. The one year that we could have, or I could have gone nationals and sadly enough, ended up tearing my elbow and uh, kind of put me out for a little while anyways. I think that's something like, I mean, a lot of people on the team now, they see you because you're their volunteer assistant and like you're still training obviously. And or I don't know how many times I, you know, we try and like list off how many All-American, oh, and Riley was. And I, you know, it's like, well, I don't think, you know, he was in that like, you know, so it's just kind of, you're at least thought of as an All-American. Yeah, that, no, I've like, definitely been asked. Yeah, like many times, um, like even like having like camp kids like I'll have in there, you know, over the winter. Uh, oh, where's your banner at? Where's your banner at? I was like, well, I wasn't good in college. You know, I didn't get, I, I, you know, I got hurt. So then, or we had, we're in that waiting period. So then it was kind of that tough time to be like, okay, I qualified every year distance wise that I would have made, you know, from, I think my, well, my junior year and senior year for sure, I would have made the regional meet. I wasn't able to, I didn't really know any different because obviously that was just there and that's how I was going through. So I was like, okay, that's yeah. what happens. That's what happens. And I didn't know that there was a really an after after college javelin career, you know, that was a possibility even. You know, we talked about where it all began, but then like where it all came together really wasn't until 2013, or at least for most people looking on the outside, it wouldn't be until that U.S. championship meet in 2013. So what happens from the time you tear your elbow to that breakout meet in Des Moines in 2013? The year I tore my elbow was 2009, and then... After that, it was kind of recover, like, hey, I wanted to throw. I knew I was better, and, you know, I knew that I had a, I don't know, I didn't get a totally fulfill, you know, they go all the way through, you know, something that, not like, I don't want to say like a chip on my shoulder, because nothing took away anything, you know, it was an injury, like a fluke thing, but like, hey, like, I knew I could do better than what I ended up with, so I kind of wanted to go out there and prove to myself, be like, hey, you know, I can still throw this, you know, I can still, as long as I'm having fun with it, go out there and throw. And it worked in the schedule, obviously, life schedule, whatever, as far as substitute teaching around. I did some volunteer coaching at NDSU to help out because we didn't have a necessarily javelin coach then. Stevie moved on to some other events. Our other throws coach came in and focused on some of the other, all the other throws with their athletes. And I kind of helped out with the javelin crew in order to keep my training there at NDSU and stuff like that. Fall of 2011, Justin St. Clair, my coach now, or the NDSU throws coach, got hired on talked with him a little bit in the fall and he wrote up some training for me and then I ended up throughout that year qualifying throwing like 73 meters and qualifying for the trials then in 2012 made it out to the trials like on my second throw first or second throw like came down the runway smoked one really far and was watching it and heard the crowd go ooh ah and like you know like that at in Eugene so in the big stadium I'm like this is my first huge meet ever without going to nationals and stuff and watching it watching it and then look down and step over the line which I didn't probably have to but I just followed through and the throw was so easy and I was just like what got caught watching it and fouled it and it would have put me in the finals it probably would have been like 75 78 meters or something like that um, so it would have been a huge PR for me at the time and would have moved me and bumped me up right away. So obviously Justin's training 
made me get to where I am. My next few throws weren't as good, obviously, at trials. But then the 2013, uh, I came into the meets in, like, 14th place with, like, a 74, I think, meter throw or something like that, 73-something. And then for that year, and then kind of just built up every throw was PR. PR was, like, 74, 75, 76. That was in the first flight because I was in 14th. So I went back, we went in the mixed zone area. We're waiting, waiting, waiting for that second flight to finish up. I'm staying warm, trying to stay hydrated. It's really hot that day, slamming Gatorade, slamming little gels and stuff like that to keep my energy up and ended up, uh, once I got back down there, I, we didn't really know like what places people were in, went back down there and Justin was like, Hey, yeah, you're sitting in third place right now. Like you're sitting good with 76. You're sitting in third place. You're doing good. Keep on working on the same things. I remember doing a few more warm-up throws because we had a little more time and being like, ah, oh, you know, I'm kind of tight. You know, my legs are a little tight. It's like, okay, yeah, just keep on focusing on, you know, working the legs through and staying back and staying patient with the arm and stuff. And so everybody's cycling through. We're starting the finals in the first round and come down the runway and <laughs> hit that throw. And just, just to hear Justin, I mean, he doesn't yell, you know, a lot, but just to hear him, hear him yell and scream, and the fans and everything like that. <laughs> and watch the official, it's like going over his head and he's like looking back and then it lands back behind him. And I just walk off and I'm just like, I didn't know, like I didn't, what just happened? You know, I'm freaking out. Uh -huh. And uh, it's just, just to see or to hear the distance I come out and I'm just like, oh my, it's like 8350. And that was the mark right on the dot to qualify for Worlds. And I just, I had no clue. Like, I, I mean, that's, it was a 30 foot PR from, ever yeah. from coming in that meet I, I i pr'd by 30 feet you know 10 meters wow. and i just had i had no clue you know what was going to happen next and it was after that it was just um i don't know a happy mess i guess you know really i just wanted to say because it's like everything was just so much is coming in all at once but it was just so crazy so crazy of a time that all that work all the nights late nights whatever you know all that stuff you know kind of came together in that one throw and it uh, worked out really well. So that was uh, the summer before I was a senior in high school. And I remember reading this article on the forum, just Riley Dolezal wins U.S. Javelin title. I'm just kind of getting big into being a track super fan at this point. It's like, who, who is this guy? Yeah. <laughs> and then I'm pretty sure I remember the article saying you were driving a sugar beet truck like the fall before, right? Yeah, yeah. I don't know why that sticks out to me. I figured, you know, we'd reward you for your time and for letting us pick your brain by uh, playing a little game uh, that I made up uh, just today. Uh, I'm calling it Witch Stanley. So I'm going to, since you're from Stanley, North Dakota, uh, <laughs> I'm going to give you two Stanleys and you have to choose which one you're going to keep. Okay. okay. Simple enough. Sounds good. Okay. So the first one is uh, the town of Stanley, North Dakota, or uh, the filmmaker Stanley Kubrick? I got I to go with the town. Okay, the, the town stays. All right, the town Stanley or flat Stanley? Flat Stanley. <laughs> um, oh, man, I got to go with, Stan with the town still. I got to stick with the town. I love, I love the loyalty. All right. Uh, the, the town of Stanley or Stanley from the office? Oh, Stanley from the office. That's a hands down. 
Oh, Gotta man. love the donuts. Gotta love the donuts. I'm sorry, Stanley, back home, but. All right. Uh, Office Stanley or Stan Lee, the, the comic, oh, the Marvel comic. Marvel comic? Oh, man. I'm going to have to see. Yeah, Marvel comic probably would be better. Yeah, I think so. All right. And now we're on Stan Lee. Stan Lee. All right. Marvel Comics, Stan Lee or Stanley Yelnitz the fourth from the movie and book Holes. <laughs> Yelnitz. Uh, I'll probably have to go with Stanley still. Marvel. Marvel Mar- Stanley. All right. And my last one uh, Stanley, the, the Marvel, uh, Wizard of Marvel, or Stan Huntsman. Uh, who is the javelin coach of the one-time world record holder in the javelin, Patrick Bowden. Ooh. Oh, God, that would be so helpful. Um, I'll probably have to go with Stan Lee still, Marvel. Stan Lee. It was was the toughest decision. Captain America lives on to fight another day. (laughs) When the movie theaters open, we'll be able to enjoy Marvel for all of eternity. All right. That that was my game. Thanks for playing. Yeah. (laughs) So what was that first world championships meet like? That was in Moscow in 2013. What was that feeling like getting on the international stage? Uh, that, yeah, it was crazy. I mean, right afterwards, obviously, like I got an agent, got signed with Nike, um, and then got like making the team and trying on all the gear and everything like that. Just so much is going on and then getting all that stuff set up. And then the first day traveling over there it was the first interta- international flight I've ever been on, you know? And, mm-hmm. uh, so, and I was going out by myself. So I was like, okay, you know, this will be fun. Great. You know, some small little North Dakota town kid going all the way across to Moscow. So flying over there, I have my two javelins over my shoulder as I'm walking through the airport. So I'm not hitting a bunch of people and with my bag, like rolling behind, trying to like keep out of the way of everything and walk off the airport. And these guys are standing there with their M16s, you know, the security or whatever, but there's this Russian, you know, obviously like guys are standing there with their M16s and they look at me and they're like, what is that? You know, a terrible Russian accent. Sorry, but <laughs> like, what is that? And then pointing at the javelin too, cause it looks like a big stinking bazooka, you know, thrown over my shoulder cause I'm carrying it with a handle. And, uh, I was like, Oh, I was like freaking out, you know, started to like uh, stutter and like, uh, well, it's javelins for, for the competition for the track and field. Oh, good luck. I was like, Oh my God. Yeah, <laughs> you know, first international travel, and I got guys with M16s asking me a questions, and there's five of them standing there, and I was just like, "Oh man!" But made my way over there, a couple connecting flights, got in there. They were really nice. They had people waiting there for you to take you to their hotel. It's a giant hotel, and there's like eight different countries staying in this hotel. So I'm starting to meet, like, obviously all the USA athletes. I hardly know anything. Don't get me wrong. Like, I don't know. I, I wasn't a big follower of track and field. I didn't know that even like half this stuff was even could happen, you know, especially to me, you know, starting out with everything. But like, so I'm just trying to learn like where I got to go and the, my coaches and like the people like running from like USATF, like their names. Plus I'm like walking around and seeing all these like top athletes, you know, like Allison Felix is like walking around there, Ashton Eaton. It's like, what is going on? 
on right now. It's like, I, and then all these other countries have all their top athletes like around in our hotel too. It was just so crazy, just like walking around and all of a sudden we're sitting down and the Czech Republic's team was there, which their javelin coach is world record holder, Jan Zelezny. So all of a sudden we're sitting down, me and Justin, Justin made the trip over. So we're sitting there and I'm like, oh man, there he is, he's right over there. So he leaves, goes out and we lost him. I was like, oh man, I want to get a picture with him. You know, meeting the world record holder, ended up finding him out in like a break area or whatever. He was out having a cigarette, you know, very European thing after your meal, go have a cigarette. So we waited for a little bit until he was like almost finished with it. And then we walked out there and they're like, Hey, can we get a picture with you? So that was like jaw dropping moment. Like first trip, you know, international stuff, meet the world record holder in the javelin. That's like one of the only people I knew, like in the sport of stuff, just get a picture with him and all this stuff was just like just stacking up to be just like so much like going on. It's crazy. Just meeting all the people from the USA team and having all that support, you know, from them to them knowing that, Hey, this person is new they didn't know who I was just like you're saying too, like kind of took under your wing under their wing a little bit and very supportive. Like, Hey, if you need any help, you know, we can do this stuff. This is what's going to happen. These are some things that you can expect. It was just really cool how they're so helpful. Even as like 2013, that was four years out of college already. You know, I'm 26, 27 years old, but still being like, Hey, this is a new guy. What's like the, the dining situation, like at the world champs, is there like a, at this one hotel that's all for athletes, is there like a big dining hall? You can just like go eat whenever or what, what was like the yep. setup there? It's just like a huge dining hall area. So all the countries are eating in this one area. You have little tickets or whatever, or they'll look at your, your, your sport ID and they'll check your name off the list because they know you're on the list for the team. But it's just buffet style, essentially. It was pretty good most of the time, but it, a lot of it was just super bland because they didn't want to like, hey, have a lot of culture flavor, stuff like that, their stuff because athletes are competing. So they kind of kept everything pretty basic, chicken, rice, beans, whatever, some, every once in a while they'd throw on some other stuff to kind of mix it up. I know one time I was sitting there and all of a sudden I was eating and Allison Felix comes and sits down and she's eating at the table. And there's, you know, it's a huge round table of, you know, it can fit 20 people or something on it, but you know, they're just sitting over there. And so I was just like, wow, you know, it's like, I'm eating lunch with Allison Felix, not really with her, but she's like, you know, over yeah. in her own group and stuff like that. But, and then riding elevators and all of a sudden, uh, Usain Bolt is on the same elevator as you going up and I'm looking, you know, because he's tall and I'm just like, don't be freaked, you know, don't mess up. Don't say anything stupid, you know, don't stand there and do a selfie or anything like that. <laughs> yeah. It's just crazy. You know, you, you, you don't want to, you don't want to fanboy out, but also you kind of like want to be like, Hey, when is the next time or ever, if I'm going to ever see this person again? You go in 2013, then you turn around, you make the team again in 2015. This time it's in Beijing. Was there any big differences the second time around, like your second time being on a world championships team? I think I prepared a little bit more for the second time. I went over and I did like, they do like training camps before most worlds. So you kind of get acclimated like a week or so before. So athletes can go over, train, train for a week. They always have the, and then, so you get used to like the weather and stuff like that. So I went over to that this time. Justin wasn't able to make it out there for that, but uh, went over to, it was in Japan. And so went over just outside Tokyo and was hanging out there, doing some training, actually went really well, um, just trying to get used to the area. And of course they were working on like, that's where we were going to train and stuff like that for the possible upcoming, you know, 2020 Olympic stuff that they're planning on. You're coming off like a lot of success, two world championships, qualified for 
Uh, you've been healthy for like a good stretch now. Things are really starting to click coming into 2016, uh, the Olympic trials. And talk to us about like the whole process. Like, like was there extra pressure being that it was an Olympic year? Yeah, just, just tell us kind of what your mindset was after Beijing and going into 2016. 2015 was honestly like my most consistent year as far as like multiple meets with 80 meter throws and then knowing that the Olympic standard was was going to be 83 meters I knew that hey it was is highly possible I was building up off a great year feeling healthy going into the, the 2016 season and then getting to trials and just knowing you get six rounds, you know, or six throws or actually, well, nine throws, three the first day and then six the second day if you make it through the finals. And knowing that, hey, these these could be your last nine throws of the year. There isn't a chasing period like I've been able to do in the past. Hit it now or it's done. And like I said, you try to put put those things off your mind as much as possible, not cause any extra stress or extra, you know, worry or anything like that or lose your focus on stuff. But it's always back there. You're always thinking about it to go down there and have um, Curtis Thompson, he hit like 82, 88, like on like his first throw of final on the final day, he just stepped up and just threw a bomb and just kind of as much as you don't want it to and try not to think about it, it kind of takes a little bit out of your sale. You know, you're like, okay, you know, feeling good. And then, Oh, you know, he hit this huge throw. Now I got to step up. Now I got to step up. Then trying to too hard. My second throw finals or in finals or whatever. So my second to last throw, I hit one that started to kind of pick back up and pick in the rhythm um, and the connection was there. Cyrus Hostetler hit like a big throw of 83 meters. So he automatically, you know, qualifies to go. And then there's three guys that are already qualified. Sean Fury had already um, hit 83 the year before. And then, so there's two guys already going and Krauser hit 83 the year before too to qualify to go to worlds. So these guys all had the mark already. So now I had to step up and I had to throw 83 and hopefully then I'd be in that position to be in the top three plus hitting 80, you know, hitting the standard as far as distance ended up, it didn't work out. You know, I think I ended up with 78, maybe, I don't know, 79, still got third. Um, so it was like kind of like a bitter, bittersweet moment as far as like, you're still on the podium, you get the medal, you know, stuff like that. And all other events, you know, if you're top three, essentially you're going because all other events are mostly people that qualified already. So everybody sees you, as getting this medal and you're going to the Olympics, you know, everybody's like super happy for you and walking off of that then and walking through the crowd and walking back, you know, to my coach, my family, you know, stuff like that. That's there. Everybody's like, Oh yeah, congrats, congrats. And I was like, first couple, it's like, Oh, well, you know, try to explain it out. Like, well, I didn't have the distance, so I can't go, you know, I got third, but at least people had, you know, the farther distance. And then after that, you know, it's just like, to sit there and explain out, you know, for 10 minutes, how the whole situation is, which I get the situation, you know, the setup and how, how the making the team is set up. But, um, you know, at that point it's like, well, you feel the fire to like, keep on going, obviously like, Hey, I, I, I want to do this again. You know, I want to keep on going, but then, you know, being a part-time teacher and the funding part of it and stuff like that going on, it's like, it's, it's kind of tough. But yeah. Right away. It's like, you're just kind of like, okay, I need to take a break. You need to step away from javelin for a little bit because everything you built up that was kind of the main year as far as like 2012 I didn't had no clue you know Olympics whatever but if I would have done good at the trials or not who cares I have no clue but yeah there it, uh, it was definitely one that I thought I had a big chance of making and uh, just didn't work out didn't line up that day for anything to work out that way so 
but yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy too. Like you still feel obviously like you did really good. Cause like the fans there in Hayward, everybody knows so much about track 2012. I was obviously no, nobody in the javelin world. And I go up and I sit with my parents or whatever and my grandparents in the stands and just sit down and, Oh, this guy like right next to me. Oh, Hey, good job on throwing jab or whatever. He wasn't, you know, didn't talk to my parents or anything like that. He's just like a fan of the sport yeah. and the events. And he's just like watching everything. So he knew even just looking at me, like coming up, Oh, Hey, you threw javelin, right? You know, Hey, I've got a great job. Yeah. It's a good throw out there. And I was like, geez, everybody's just like so focused and they just love track and field. So it's awesome to just be in that atmosphere as well, you know, and everybody knows that there's such a, an appreciation of all the hard work that they know that everybody does and puts in the time to get there at that level. What do you think was more tough? The 2016 year or the following year when you come back, you've got that fuel that you were talking about and then all of a sudden you tear your Achilles. 2017 was awesome. Was throwing well. Won that, you know, won in 2017 and then 2018 tore the Achilles in the fall after like training went so well and made good teams and stuff like that just playing spike ball at school during our lunch break, like I've done a hundred thousand million times, whatever. And just the weirdest thing, the floor was slippery, shoes slipped on the floor and then caught. And then Achilles ripped off my calf. They said no surgery, just had to put in a boot. So the recovery was a little bit longer and it wasn't maybe not like as strong. Mm-hmm. And I still don't think it's healed up quite like normal or back to normal. Um, but obviously the strength is coming back into it, but it's just like, okay, great. Now we're just throwing a wrench and everything. And that was in October when I tore it. I wasn't out of the boot till end November, December, probably when I was out of the boot, actually you can put weight on it and stuff um, and start rehabbing a lot of it. And then just kind of work through all of that, working on everything, upper body, you know, biking, I could do with the boot on. Um, I'll work on what I can, you know, cause obviously at that point I'm looking at 2020, you know, that's the next Olympic year. I want to be ready for that 2018 season. It was up in the air. And so you have the short season that spring, you're able to come back. You've worked through all the rehab and that year you take third of the U S champs after tearing an Achilles, you come back, you find yourself on the podium again. What were the feelings there? Like, were you just overcome with emotion being maybe out potentially and then ending up in third place? Yeah, I was, I mean, I was even surprised to be throwing, you know, I mean, at that time, uh, and even that well, you know, I think with all the work that working on the upper body stuff, that stuff just worked through so much better um, and came around to work how it's supposed to in the, in the long run. Um, yeah, I was surprised. was able to stay up on the podium for that year. 18 was my fifth year in a row up on the podium, I think. Yeah, it sounds so, like skill to me. That doesn't sound like a whole lot of luck. <laughs> <laughs> when did, like, your contract with Nike end and then you started – you? signed on with Velasa? Uh, Nike ended in 2016 after like the Olympics, they kind of like did somewhat of a sweep through. Um, yeah. Then I got with Velasa. Yeah. 2018, 19. They're great. I mean, it's a local group. It's a guy out of Minnesota, right out of Minneapolis, help out with some training gear and uniform, stuff like that and funding and that some great lifting shoes, some great training shoes. So they've been really great. Um, and then just having, having that team kind of build up again. Mm-hmm. The top two jab throwers were from Blossa this year. The girl who won Javelin wasn't from Blossa. There's a lot of the throwers from Blossa around the world, really. So I think it's a good group of athletes that, hey, they're working hard and trying to get to that next level and making their way to that next level. And it's, it's those grinder athletes that are, that are still out there working through 
I'm older. I mean, it's a lot of younger guys, um, but I'm obviously older. Uh, so I'm like, Hey, you know, just to be part of a group and try to pass on whatever knowledge, you know, I have, but they've, they've been very helpful. Back to 2019, the most recent season you had, how intense that, that U S champs competition got. Give us the insights there. Yeah, it was, uh, man, everybody, I mean, to start out with like, javelin was struggling i mean it was not it was another rough year i mean just like 2018 where it was kind of low low year as far as athletes like competition style throwing um people just weren't throwing really well i mean i was sitting in second place with like i think like 75 or something like that um 76 maybe person in like fifth place or something like that popped off a big throw or sixth place and then he bumped up and then the next guy that was after him then he bumped up the guy that was in third place, he threw like 77. So he goes into first place and we're like, okay, now we got to step it up and like sitting there on the runway and kind of waiting and get on the runway and just come down and be like, Hey, I could be done, you know, today. So I was like, I'm just going to rip it out there as hard as I can and actually lined up and focused up and watching the film. I didn't think the video or the throw was that good, but it went out there. It just took off and flew. Once it was flying again, you know, you hear Justin in the background yelling and screaming, you know, like, okay, it's got to be good, you know, because I can't really see, you know, and I'm just like, all right. So he's yelling and he's pumped up. So I was like, oh, sweet. And lands out there on the crowd, starts yelling and screaming. So then I start yelling and screaming like an idiot, but, you know, just, uh, <laughs> but no, to be like, and then hear the numbers that come off 82, 84, whatever. So I was like, oh man, I mean, it's like, like that to be hit the 83 to make worlds. So I was like, it's, it's got to be close. Knowing that the process of worlds, they take the list and they go through the top 24 and hey, if you're at the bottom or the middle, you know, in the list, but you don't have the distance, they might offer you a bid, you know, to get in there, to get into actual worlds. Knowing that I was like, okay, 82, 84, I mean, that's nothing compared to, I mean, if, if the list stays where it's at and then go and sit down and like ready to go and like start this little clap for Michael Shuey, you know, and to help out teammates and stuff like that because he's another Velocity guy. And knowing that he has – he's thrown very well. You know, he started out the year with 80 meters, so he's he's capable. But, you know, you're kind of waiting and obviously hoping that you want to win. But knowing that, hey, the chance is there that he could, he could pop out a big one. And uh, he comes down and rips it and just – javelin just takes off. I was like, oh, yeah, that's gone. That's gone. It's far way farther than mine. Like, I didn't even think – it was like, oh, great. If you would have thrown 87 meters – fine but when he throws 82 85 and i threw 82 84 it's like like one centimeter one centimeter the guy holding the thing is tilting it one way or the other and it's tied or i'm winning or i'm losing by a lot you know this is like Mm -hmm. i mean throwing 250 feet or whatever and or 270 feet and it's a centimeter that that splits out first and second it's like oh you gotta be kidding me you know it's a little bit of prize money but you still, hey, we made this match team. Me and him get to go to this match team and then two other javelin guys too. That's the USA versus Europe? Yes. It was in Minsk, Belarus, which is another awesome place. But yeah, it was kind of neat that they're mixed in with like all these European like top athletes and stuff. And you get to, so you get to meet them. So we're sitting there and I'm rooming with Michael Shuey. We're laying there in bed just waking up in the morning and get this message from USATF. I read it on my phone, like an email or whatever. And it's like, Hey, you've been accepted to go to world in Doha. I was like, Hey, uh, Mike, uh, you should, you should check your phone. Cause I didn't want to like tell him like right away. I didn't want, I didn't know. 
He's like, so he looks at his phone. He's like, oh my God, we made a team. We made a team. This was his first team. And I'm psyched. I mean, obviously like extremely excited for this. And we're so we stand, we're like jumping out of bed. We're like, oh, we're going to Doha. And we're screaming and stuff. And But no, it was, it was really cool to just be right there at the same time, you know, to, to get to know right at the bat, you know, like, hey, together that we were both making the team and stuff and getting another meet, another competition level and stuff like that too. So that was uh, was pretty neat to be able to, to share that little bit of experience somewhat. So Yeah, especially as Velocity teammates too. You know, it's awesome that you get to go together and, and find out yeah. together. And wow, yeah, what, exactly. a, what an experience. So 2019 Doha, besides being incredibly hot, more hot, incredibly <laughs> later in the season, what was it like compared to the first two world teams that you made? Like coming in, I don't know if it wasn't – I didn't feel like there was as much pressure going into that meet. I wasn't, I wasn't feeling as much pressure, I guess, as, like, first couple meets, like, going into them. I know, like, hey, I came in, made the world team at, like, 20 – I was, like, 22nd of the 24 that made the team or something, you know, that made the meet. So, I was, like, okay, not a lot of pressure there. I think I finished out, like, 19th or something like that or 20th. But, no, it's, like, like you said, it was just super hot, just trying to get used to that. The stadium was really nice. They had air conditioning in the stadium, like, blowing down and everything. So, that was weirdly, like – cool and like comfortable but then like the warm-up area outside where you had like warm-up at was you know 100 degrees with 90 percent humidity so i mean you're sweating instantly and in but just preparing for it was was just slowly like starting to like wear on me i mean getting older um the achilles hasn't like totally healed back up yet and it's still not working quite firing like it should be but knowing that hey there's some more of that family like that velocity teammates you know and stuff there there's quite a few like other athletes that were there ready to go and knowing that, Hey, this, this could be a lot of fun, you know, and be able to explore and kind of check out some new areas and stuff like that. Cause whenever I'm going to go to Doha, Qatar again, probably never. So we're going to move into our kind of more fun segment. I mean, I had a really good time listening to what you're saying. I should say funnier segment because I think we're going to have some pretty good questions for you. We touched on the home renovation uh, a little bit earlier, but what's been the hardest, hardest part of the home renovation so far? No AC. Ooh. Um, it's been I just finding the – oh, man, they just rigged some stuff together in here. It's crazy. Like, some wiring is, like, so redundant. They ran, like, three different wires into, like, one outlet that are all different, like, hot from the power box. And I almost got electrocuted one day, and I probably shouldn't say that. Parents will be upset. Check every wire. Check every wire, kids. Stay safe. <laughs> All right, next question. You actually already answered this one, so I'm going to change it up a bit. Uh, we knew you were a senior. As a senior, you were a state champion in the javelin, but we went through the old state results and saw that you were also in another event at the state meet, which was the 4 by 2 Oh, do yeah. You, do you remember how that went for you guys? Oh, it's probably terrible. I, I probably – see, I started out the relays, so I always gave the other teammates scrap because – we would not be very fast and we'd probably be out in the outer lane or something like that. So I'd be like, I didn't lose. I mean, I held the lead, you know, cause we had the <laughs> stagger. So I at least handed off. I was in the lead. So I'd always give them crap that cause we made it in the, I think the four by one and the four by two, I think we made it my junior and my senior year. I think obviously running wasn't, wasn't a big, big time fun thing. So I was, I was the old guy that could start it out of the box anyways, as a senior and then be able to start them off somewhat okay and then every i mean they probably caught up to me they're handing off right after me but yeah it's uh 
sprinting. Oof, I don't miss that at all. Uh, in case you were wondering, out of uh, 19 teams in the 4 by 2 your senior year, you took uh, 19th, so. <laughs> I'm surprised we finished. <laughs> you, you did beat one team that didn't finish, so you do have Oh, there we go. There we go. So we got that going for us. Yeah. Do you have any good drug testing stories? You've been on all these international meets, and you've probably been drug <laughs> tested quite a few times. You got any good ones that stand out? Yeah. It must have been the 2014 season. First meet, went back down to Arizona, with, the, and I was, like, traveling and, like, hanging out with the team. I stayed at my grandparents for a while because uh, they had a place down in Phoenix or whatever. But uh, so the team was down there, and NDSU was in, the like, the final four – or not final four, but March Madness stuff going on. So the whole team – goes out to this area, this uh, bar, restaurant, or whatever, and uh, sits and watches the game with a bunch of boosters and stuff like that. They rented out this big room. I get a call on my phone, and it's the drug test people because you got to update everything, like where you're going, like, hey, I'm staying at this hotel. They call it like, hey, we're five minutes from your hotel. Um, we're going we're gonna to be there, you know, to drug test you or whatever, to take a pee test. I was like, all right. I literally just went to the bathroom and I'm sitting at this bar over here or whatever, you know, or at this, at this restaurant in this back room. So I'm like, Oh, uh, well I'm at this restaurant. You know, we went here to watch this game, you know, and stuff They're like, okay, yeah, we just passed it a while ago. We'll be there in like 10, 15 minutes or something like that. They're going to loop back around. So, it's like, oh, so I tell the waitress like, Hey, I need a water. And she, she brings me like one cup. I slam it. And then I need another water. So then she brings me another cup. I slam it. And then people start like handing me their water. Like they're like handing me their water. And I was like, Hey, can I get a, just get a picture? And she's like, well, what for? I was like, well, I got a, you know, random drug test, you know, it was for sports, you know, just trying to explain like, Hey, it's not like, like I do drugs, drugs, but, and she's like, oh, okay. Yeah. So she hand, brings over a picture and I just put a straw in there and just start drinking all that thing. Cause I was like, okay, I got it. I got to go. Like I got to literally went 10 seconds before these, they called and they show up, it's a lady and a guy. Usually it's just one person, but the lady is the head USADA or the USADA lady running the test. And they got to bring a guy because I'm a male, obviously, to go to the bathroom and in there with me or whatever. So we start filling out the paperwork stuff anyways. Um, the game is still going on. They go into overtime. And so the guy's like, hey, we won't make you like go and miss the game or anything like that. So we'll just wait until until a break or whatever. Well, they go into like second overtime or whatever it was or something like that that year. Um, or maybe it was going in the first overtime and I'm like, okay, well, let's go now. I can go, you know, I'm ready to go. Obviously, you know, finally got the water was finally kicking in that I had drank 10 gallons of it felt like. Uh, so we go in the bathroom and of course, you know, everybody's been watching this game. It's been super close. They went into overtime. So now it's time for everybody to go to the bathroom. So we go into the big stall because, Hey, there's another guy standing in there with me <laughs> to, watch to make sure. So I didn't want to just pull up at the urinal and have some guy like looking over my shoulder <laughs> So all these old like boosters and stuff like that are in this bar watching this game. And all of a sudden we got to walk out of the stall, two dudes walking out of a stall with all these old guys, like looking at us, like what is going on right now? <laughs> and so I just hold that urine cup up, like walking like this, you know, like, Oh, I had to do another sample or whatever. you know, like random drug tests and stuff like that. Trying to explain as much as I can, like set it up on like the sink and like wash my hands, like trying to like, hey, this is not nothing else going on. Just like this guy's got to watch me for my drug test. And had to explain it like a couple other guys like out in the bar then like caught me like afterwards like, oh, what was going on in there? And it's like, well, I 
had to do with this you know, athlete, you know, professional athlete, get random drug tests, stuff like that. But that was definitely the weirdest, awkwardest time ever. I mean, early morning, I don't care, but that thing was, yeah, so weird. So weird for that. But uh. <laughs> I have one more question. We're hoping that a lot of the people that are listening are high school kids across the state of North Dakota that get to hear stories like yours and see a person go from being good to great. You learn from a VHS tape, which by the way, I want to know, do you still have that or not? But you learn from a VHS tape. What advice would you have for kids across the state that maybe are in a situation that you were in where they don't have a, a coach for their specific event or come from a school that maybe has, maybe doesn't even have a track. Like what, what would you tell those kids? Um, I wish I would have gone to more camps, you know, looking back, like, Hey, I didn't know that I would like track, you know, really, I didn't know that that was going to be the thing that I was going to do. Um, but try out different things, you know, go do different camps. I mean, with the social media stuff going on right now, YouTube, Instagram, everybody's posting up training videos, training drills, training all kinds of different techniques. Don't look at just one person, look at a bunch of different people because my throwing style isn't like. Joe blows over there or this guy's over there or a world record holder or any of the top three guys in Germany. Don't look at just one person, spread it around, look at a bunch of different people, figure out what works for you and then try to keep on building on that. Even if you don't think you know anything, if you put in the time to like work and try to get to the places and get better, people will see that and people will help you out along the way for sure. Or even just contact me look out, whatever. I'll try to help you out as much as I can. If I can look at a video or of your throwing or maybe help out with some training stuff. I know with camp kids that come to NDSU, I always pass out like, Hey, here's my Instagram, Facebook, whatever, reach out if you want any help. Um, I'm always happy to help out um, as much as I can and going through all the stuff. Cause I know, like you said, started with nothing and I don't have a VHS tape anymore. I don't know where it's at. I guess I think the coach actually kept it. So I just handed it back to him, but I don't even know if I have anything to play it on, but, uh, but yeah, reach out, ask questions, um, try to learn more, you know, do different things. Don't be one sport athlete. I guess this is another big thing, but yeah, look out there, check everything out as much as you can do the research. Dang. That was just a personal invitation from a three-time world championship team member for, for like help. That was, that's incredible. Uh, and that's going to wrap things up. Riley, we wish you the best of luck. Thank you, guys. It's been awesome. Thank you for reaching out. It's, uh, it's really cool. Awesome to be on my first podcast with you guys. Yeah.